Hey, Lisa. Hey, Julie. So it's Thursday afternoon before Marathon Monday. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I just had a massage. Um, I'm feeling excited. You know how we always feel before Marathon Weekend. Excited. I love this weekend. We love this weekend. So super excited, but starting to get a better sense of the weather now now that it's getting closer. So starting to look at that, trying to not, not to look at it too closely. Um, but I think all of, the, all of the forecasts now point towards it being wet. With a little quick question as to the as to the temperatures, if the front passes farther north of of Boston, then we'll get some warmer temperatures. If it doesn't make it that far up, we're going to be stuck at cooler temperatures and very similar to last year. And it sounds like the right now, at least, and there's still a lot of room for tracking differences. But right now, it sounds like the heaviest rain will be during the race time. So, okay. So you got all the, this information thanks to our. So yeah, I want to send a big <laughs> shout out to Zach Hawkins. Zach Hawkins is one of our runners who just smashed the three hour barrier at uh, Shamrock a few weeks ago. So he's going to Boston next year, but he shared with me a few weeks ago that he's kind of an amateur meteorologist. He loves to, uh, loves to forecast the weather. He likes to track weather patterns and he did that for his own race. And I said, Oh, you should do that for Boston. He said, well, I, I certainly will. And he has been sending me an email every day, and I will give him huge credit. He was the first one to say, looks like there's a storm. And that was on Sunday after Cherry Blossom, Cherry Blossom 10-miler here, beautiful race. We got perfect weather. Perfect. Just like last year, I'm really glad I ran that race, had a really good race. You did. Congratulations. Had a great race, felt so good. And I'm glad I did because who knows what the conditions are going to be like. Uh, for, for, for Marathon Monday. We talked about this with Dan and Ken when we did our round table with them. You know, I think it was Dan who said, kind of look at the weather. By the time you get to Cherry Blossom, you have a sense of what Boston weather might be like. And if it's not going to be the, your ideal weather, then maybe you really race Cherry Blossom. So I'm glad I did that. But as soon as we finished, I'm checking through my emails and Zach had sent an email that said, looks like there might be a storm. And it wasn't on any of the apps at that time. The apps were saying, maybe a, a sprinkle in the afternoon or in the evening. And I thought, well, he's got to be wrong. He's an amateur, right? So, uh, so, um, but it, it's true. So that's really where the track has gone now later. I think that day or on Monday, articles started coming out. And I can remember the headline said, wretched, pretty wretched. Now, the latest forecast today, and it's Thursday, doesn't indicate wretched. I think it's going to be wet, but what's different about this year than last year is it's going to definitely be warmer. We can already see that. And last year was a trifecta with the cold, the wind, and the rain. And just looking at the models right now, it seems like there will definitely be rain, but it doesn't appear that it will be nearly as cold. So I'm just going to read this from Boston.com. David Epstein, one of the uh, yes. meteorologists. Yes. Okay, great. This is just, just came out Justin, today. Justin, just breaking in news. 8.30 a.m. this morning. So, but, but one of the more, I've been avoiding looking today. So one of the more recent things for me says the timing of this batch of heavy rain has yet to be determined, but it could come as the athletes are getting ready to begin the race and then last all morning. Um, so I'm going to just scroll through it. Uh, we may not be far off last year's mark come Marathon Monday. Okay, but that's a headline. I'm being hopeful because, I mean, we have to grab headlines here, and I'm not accusing this me meteorologist of being inaccurate by any means, but it's it's a good read if you headline it with it maybe like last year. But if you really look deep at the weather, it's definitely going to be warmer than last year. I hope so. I mean, it's, um, you know, look, it is what it is. Yeah. And this is sort of how we 
approached it last year and control the controllables. There's really And that's why we are here today. For all of our listeners, we are here to help you control the controllables because we certainly cannot control the weather, but what we can do is come prepared. So our podcast today is a two-part podcast. The first is part is preparing, packing, and running Boston based, based on, on the our, conditions. And also based on our experience last year, I feel like we really learned a lot last yes. year, what worked, what didn't work. So everything I'm thinking through this year is what worked well for me last year, what didn't work. And a lot of people who are going for the first time or running in these conditions for the first time, I think it'll be helpful that we've been through this. We hope so. And then the second part of our podcast, we're bringing on a Boston spectating guru named Rachel Glazer, who is a veteran Boston marathon, but also a native Bostonian and veteran spectator and a volunteer at the race and has been the race announcer for three years. So So who better to ask? Yes. So this podcast is not only for Boston marathon runners today, but it's also for friends and family who are spectating. So we're going to kick it off now. And the first thing we're going to talk about is packing for Hopkinton. Right. So the one thing that's unique about Boston is that we head out, whether you're headed out on the Boston official buses, or if you're on a charter bus, if you're on a charter bus with a group, a little bit uh, more flexibility, especially if that charter bus is hanging out in Boston, you can stay on the bus. But if you are on the the, the Boston official transportation, if you're with the commoners, yes, if you're with the commoners, <laughs> uh, um, you really have to. The, the trickiest part and the key part, you know, running in the rain isn't that bad, and we've all probably done it over this training season. We had a lot of rain, a lot of races in the rain, so we've done it before. The trick for Boston is staying warm, warm. and dry mm-hmm. while you wait in Hopkinton for what can be two to three, maybe even more if you get there early enough hours. So uh, focusing on what to wear in Hopkinton, something that sticks out in my mind from last year is that Hopkinton, the fields behind the junior high school and middle school get swampy. They were a mud pit last year. So thinking about that, the first thing I would recommend are some sort of throwaway boots some kind of coverings for your shoes. If you're going to wear your shoes, I, I would just get an old pair of shoes. I just ordered on Amazon a $9.99 pair of uh, like, you know, fuzzy boots that are for outdoors that I'm just going to wear with um, a different pair of socks underneath. So uh, walking through, I felt so bad last year for the runners who didn't bring an extra pair of shoes and you saw their shoes before they even started the marathon were muddy and wet and slippery and sloppy. So you want to avoid that at, at all at all costs. So starting from the bottom up, the shoes. Um, Moving up, uh, anything that you can wear that will keep you warm um, over your running clothes. So a donatable parka that you're not using anymore. Uh, I went to Old Navy yesterday. They have all their winter stuff on huge discount. The the women helping me were really funny. Nothing was priced. So I kept asking, "What? how much is this? How much is this? And they said, are you going on a winter voyage somewhere? Because I was asking them for all the parkas. And I said, and do you have any rain boots or winter boots left? And they were laughing. They said, are you going on a winter trip and a winter voyage? And sort I said, of. Kind of. <laughs> and what I told them when they were doing, they were so nice. They were like, like, come to the men's department. They have a lot of really inexpensive, you know, kind of puffy jackets. So, uh, but you can go to Goodwill. You can go in your own donation pile and find something that will keep you warm. And not only warm, but you want to be dry. So last year we ordered, which I thought was really worked out great on Amazon, search motorcycle rain suits and you can find some, I found one for $25. It is a windproof, waterproof, 
jacket and pants and they're designed for high speed on the highways. So really hanging out in Hockington, it keeps you dry. It's actually going to be, it's the picture we're using for this podcast episode. So So check out the picture. Why is it yellow this year? It's black. It's a little boring, but I know I was looking for something, but I just wanted something. Yeah. We looked like the Gorton Fisherman. So if you see a Gorton Fisherman looking like suit on Amazon, that's the motorcycle suit that we're referencing. Yep. So you're going to want that warm layer underneath the um the uh, rain suit or waterproof suit over uh you could even bring a poncho or uh, trash bags i would bring trash bags something to sit on in hopkinton so a tarp or trash bags yes i think the tarps were most effective last year they you can get one at home depot um and just bunch it up it's really easy to pack one much easier than blankets the trash bags were more useful i noticed for wearing at the beginning of the race, a lot of people didn't even take their trash bags off the entire race, but that it is an option. It does keep you warm, especially with the weather. We're not sure how warm it's going to be. So if you don't want to commit to an outer layer when racing, and we'll get to this in a minute, bringing a few trash bags to Popkinton, a couple to sit on over the tarp, and then a couple to wear would be very handy. Absolutely. And I, I also got yesterday at Marshall's on sale a throw, like a, ta- like a, remember we had them last year, a nice fleece blanket. Yes. And that was great just to wrap around yourself while you're sitting in Hopkinton, just have something wrapped around you. Um, you're going to want for the race. And we'll, like I said, we'll talk about that in a second, but even just for Hopkinton gloves and hand warmers, if it's going to be cold, keep yourself warm. So those, those hand, like little hotties or yes. um, hand warmers to put in your gloves. And then um, some people, including me, also wore surgical gloves um, underneath our gloves and or over your gloves. So that's actually my big change this year. I did not do this. So latex gloves, yes. you can get them at your local convenience, uh, you know, your pharmacy yes. or uh, my kids are bringing them home from their lockers today. I actually forgot to text them and remind them that from their science kits. Uh, I did not do that last year. And not only sitting in Hopkinton, but sort of looking forward to the race, um, I had what were supposed to be waterproof gloves and I had hand warmers in them, but my hands got soaked and fro- through the gloves and frozen up really quickly. And my big problem then was I couldn't get my nutrition out. I couldn't use my hands to open baggies. And we will talk about that in a minute on yeah. some tricks and tips for for accessing nutrition during the race but when it rains. latex gloves, that's my big thing this year that I did yes. do last year that I'm bringing. So just like you said, you can put them over your gloves to start, but I would definitely wear a pair once you get started running underneath uh, your gloves. So let's think, is there anything else um, in Hopkinton yes. that you're going to want to have? So we talked about this jokingly and haha, but it's actually true. We really recommend getting silicone-based sex lube um, because water-based is going to wash off in rain. So that is available on Amazon. It was so funny. I was getting texts from Karen Howe this week what from <laughs> Howe about a run. She said, I'm in Walgreens. Which sex lube should I get? And she said they were all out up in Rochester, New York. And oh, I no. was like, people getting busy in Rochester. Yeah, they're all going about Rochester. Yeah. <laughs> so, we um, we highly recommend getting some lube that is silicone-based, and that is not just for your feet and in between your toes, but really any exposed body parts because it'll keep you warm. It will keep you warm. It will pr- pr- give you that protective barrier, but most importantly, it will not wash off in the rain, which is why silicone is key when it's pouring rain versus other times when you need anti-chafe cream. Other types will work. You don't always need this type of lube. Need to get that. Maybe you can go get it from Julie. You know what? I think, <laughs> I think, I think, we'll, I think and... we'll have extras. I think the okay, Montgomery County Roadrunners Club a, is stacking <laughs> up on sex lube. So to... 
tap into that. That's one thing I haven't bought yet. So. I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. I can bring you some. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, well, I want to yeah. up just a little bit and talk about a couple of things about carrying all this stuff. So you do need a clear plastic bag to get through security. And you had a little bit of it, not a serious issue last year. They're pretty flexible when they know how bad the weather is, but you really should have a clear plastic bag. They'll give you one at packet pickup, but if you want to bring a bigger one, as long as it's clear and uh, security can see through it. So sometimes if you're bringing a lot of this stuff, like a tarp and a blanket, and uh, you've got a lot of stuff, you want to ideally fit it into the bag that they give you, but, um, but in a clear plastic bag to get through security because they will... Right. Okay. So my suggestion based on what I went through last year is shove as much as you can on you. So like I had some things in a bag. I just, I just stuffed things in my pants and my bra that like I wanted to bring to Hopkinton that were overflowing in the bag. And then I wore my blanket around me so that my bag could get through. I had a little bit of trouble getting on the bus. I had so many things. I was also, I believe, carrying some things for the group. So I just kind of passed my stuff along. Because remember, in addition to all these special things, you you need your food in Hopkinton, and that is critical. You know, water. They'll have it. They'll have it there. Bring some with you if you want to. So make sure you have what you want. If you're trying to conserve space, there are bagels, coffee, and water in Hopkinton. So some sort of like uh, I don't know if it's like gel or yeah, yeah. gels, but bars or something. They and bananas. Yeah. So they do have. Have things that if that's something you're used to eating and you can count on and on eating. But yeah, don't forget that all that stuff that you normally would have brought, regardless of the weather, but your food um, and anything else that you're that you're bringing with you. And um, we're not trying to stress anyone out here. This is all about preparation because, frankly, we're hopeful that the temperatures will be warm enough that the blanket will not be necessary. But it's so much better. You do not want to waste any energy shivering in Hopkinton. That is energy you need for the race. Um, one more thing, and Lisa, you, you touched on this, but there were a lot of folks who used grocery bags to tie around their shoes, even if they were wearing boots and they were slipping everywhere. Yeah. So, so they, yeah, I would, I, I would be careful with that just because I saw people sliding yeah. because they're sli- if you put trash bags around your feet, you don't have any traction on the bottom. Yeah. So, there are, I saw on Amazon when I ordered my rain suit, there are actually like rain boots for motorcycle that you put over your shoes that have traction on the bottom. They're really cheap. So that's an option if you yeah. want to do that. But if you want to wear your running shoes and put that kind of like cover with a traction on the bottom, uh, I did want to back up too, talking about packing things. Something that's really, really critical and important. Pack your bag for what you're going to pick up at, at, at the end of the race that you check. You check your bag uh, before you get on the buses. So in downtown Boston, and you are going to, if, if you don't have a spectator that's going to be easily, very easily able to meet you, which is, is pretty impossible make sure you pack in there a change of clothes, a dry change of clothes. Because first of all, when you finish, most of the people who were in your corral are going to be finishing around you. And you go to get your bag in the number order, which is by your corral. And your your number will inevitably have the biggest crowd because everyone's finishing around the same time. And you're going to have to wait a little while. And when you get that bag, there are changing tents. Last year, they were drenched. Um find a spot somewhere and get out of the wet clothes. So pack, that's something you want to do in the morning is pack that bag with an eye towards what am I going to put on as soon as I finish something dry and warm socks and an extra pair of shoes. And ladies, an extra sports bra because that's going to be against your skin and can cause chill as well. Um, so make sure you pack that as well. And um, also 
you're not going to want to – a lot of people carry their phone during the race, understandably, for safety reasons. But when it's pouring rain, it's just not – it's not always Put the best choice. Two Ziploc baggies if yeah. you're going to do it. It's understandable, especially yeah. given 2013. And people just really want to have it with them. But double Ziploc baggie that, that Absolutely. phone. And if you check your phone um, – one thing I did last year, I was glad I did, turn off the power when you check your phone. You can turn it back on when you get your bag back, but otherwise it's sitting there for like six or seven hours, just draining battery. Or bring your charger. Or bring your charger, which you always do. Yeah. So let's talk quickly about the race itself. We touched upon it a little bit, but what you're going to want to wear for the race. And that's really going to depend on where this weather shakes out. And I don't think we're going to know until late Sunday night, first thing Monday morning, what the temperatures look like. All right. So let's start on, let's start from head all the way to toes. So head, this is critical. You, when it rains, we all like to wear a hat with a brim to keep the rain off our face. But it's also very windy at certain points of the course, regardless of the weather overall. There are just certain points where there are wind gusts. So you want to make sure that whatever hat, visor, whatever you choose to do with a brim, it's something that can be secure to your head. So I had to sort of be innovative last year. I had a hat and I found something at the expo. It was like this goofy unicorn headband, but I was able to wrap it. It was a sweaty band and I was able to wrap it around the top of my hat to secure it to my head. And I saw a lot of flying hats last year. And um, so just kind of give that some thought when you're planning what to wear in your head to have a hat that will be secured. And if it's cold enough, you may want, and I had this last year and I was just talking to Helen, one of our runners who were so excited to to meet in person. And she was asking, are you going to put out a podcast about what to wear? I said, yes, we are. Uh, And she was saying, and I agree, having like ear covers under your hat. uh, Yes. And if you come to our podcast meet up, we will have some for you. 10.30 a.m. 10.30. Oriental on Boylston Street. Yes. Hopefully the weather will be nice enough to head out to the finish line and take some pictures. Uh, but yes, we'll bring extra headbands and we won't be offended if you toss them on the side of the road. No, not at all. We also will have some goodies too from Lululemon. We are Lululemon ambassadors and they have been kind enough to um, provide us with some goodies goodies to give out. So we hope to see many of you there. We should have started off our podcast with that, but yeah. we're getting right down to business. Yeah. We'll, right. we'll talk about it so again at the end. Down okay. Real quickly. So um, what to wear on top. Again, going to depend on the weather. My plan is if it is in the 40s and even 50s is to wear a light long sleeve technical under like a shirt under. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Lululemon Swiftly. Mm-hmm. Now the Lululemon Swiftly is a lighter weight ones. And then um, I actually went into our Lululemon this week in a little bit of a panic asking them to help me with a, with a rain jacket because last year I didn't love mine. It was mm-hmm. um, it just, it didn't, it just got a little bogged down. I didn't love it. So uh, we've ordered a, it should be coming in today, a lightweight jacket that is, uh, I think it was DWR, like something that's water resistant. It's a water resistant okay. treated, uh, a light jacket over it. So that's, the jacket is going to be key folks. If it, it is, is cold, key. because if you noticed last year, the people who took off their jackets or ran without a jacket were grabbing plastic bags along the way to put over them, or they had problems with hypothermia that you've got to keep some heat in if it's going to be cold. It's tricky because it's hard to commit to a jacket. You're not sure what the temperature is going to be and you don't want to be too hot. So if at all possible, slap your bib number below your jacket so yeah, that- Put it on like a race um, a race belt Yeah, you put over your jacket and then, t- and then put it over a shirt. Yeah. Um, and that's something Helen and I were talking about today. She said she's got an old rain jacket, like running rain mm-hmm. jacket that she's going to bring in case she gets too warm where she won't feel 
that horribly discarding it along the course. And anything discarded along the course typically gets donated or somebody, some lucky Bostonian um, picks it up. Some kids will get something and they're really excited because it came from a Boston yeah. Marathon runner. So, um, you know, if you have to, if you have to run with a plastic, like a, a plastic poncho, a lot of people did that clear plastic Clear, so you can see your number. Bib number. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people ran with those for a good amount of the time and it, and it worked out well. So definitely on the top, you're going to want some sort of protection from, from the rain. Yes. Um, you mentioned that you're wearing a long sleeve shirt. There's plenty of people that run cooler than you do. Right. So for those who don't want to commit to long sleeves, a tank with arm warmers is also a perfect thing to wear in these temperatures. Again, underneath some sort of light layered windbreaker type jacket. Yeah. yeah it really depends on whether you like to run hot or cold. I yeah. like to be warm when I run. So that's, ever, that's I'm going to give the caveat. And moving down, that's another thing. I plan to wear uh, leggings. And last year, like the story last year is that I, in a panic, went to the expo and mm-hmm. went to the Lululemon booth and bought uh, fast and free mm-hmm. pants that have pockets down the side, which I really like for storing my my nutrition. Mm-hmm. But those uh, pants, those tights are made with a, a fabric that actually cools mm-hmm. when it's wet, which was really pretty bad when it cooled when it was wet. And I felt like I had ice wrapped around my legs. So I've changed this year to the speed up pant, which is a little bit thicker. So anybody who's thinking of running in tights, you're going to want something that's like a little bit more compression-y and that you've hopefully run in before and know what happens when it rains. It does, you know, when it rains, do they get bogged down? Do they get cold? What happens when it rains? I like these again, because they have the pockets down the side where I can put my nutrition. And I really like wearing when the temperatures, the real feel temperature is in the high forties and up. I like to wear shorts, um, and compression socks or not depending on my mood, but make sure of course, and everyone knows this, anyone listening to this is a pro, the shorts have lots of pockets and storage. And to that end, as we're working up and down, I, I, most of my bras have pockets in them. And I have mentioned this before in the podcast, that was really my saving grace last year in accessing nutrition along the race course is I had a pocket in my bra that allowed me to just go in and get my nutrition versus having to dig deep in pockets underneath. Yeah. Um, to that end, if you are someone whose hands get very cold and rain, yeah, let's talk about this. <laughs> it's really important to figure out a plan on how you're going to open or access your nutrition. So I've done that this year now. Okay. So last year, my problem was I do this every race, but I put my uh, honey stinger chews in plastic baggies and I couldn't open the baggies, nor could I get the nutrition out. So I was trying to bite the corner off with my teeth to like suck them out of the bag and I couldn't do that. So this year, what I'm going to do is pack them in a baggie with the corner cut off so that they can come out that like it's almost like a little chute. And then I can put them in another baggie if I want just to keep them from falling out. So when I pull it out, I can toss off one baggie at a water stop and take the other and easily get them out without having to have the dexterity of my fingers because that was a big problem for me that's last great. year. That's great. I took the last nutrition I could actually manage to get at about mile nine last year. And that's a disaster waiting to happen. Same thing with hydration. Very hard for me to like grasp onto cups with my hands that weren't like Well, hopefully the latex gloves will help this right. year. So that's, that's I, I'm hoping. Um, but I'm also planning on carrying probably a disposable water bottle with me for the first part of the course until I feel like tossing it. Which we recommend anyway, because it allows you to avoid some of those more crowded water stops before people start to lock into their paces and disperse a bit more. Um, With respect to nutrition, if you are someone who uses gels, it's obviously harder to do to pre-open those like you just mentioned. So one suggestion that seems to work well for a lot of people is to use safety pins and pin your gels to wherever you can access them. The safety pin can use, can be used to open them and when you pull them off yeah it helps yeah yeah again if you're like not 
you know, the dexterity of your fingers and make it tricky to pull those off. But yeah, figure out some, some approach. Um, there are, uh, you know, the, um, if flasks that you can put on your, if you have a fuel belt that you can fill with gels, um, you could do that if that's easier. Um, but you definitely, yeah, you definitely want to think about this ahead yeah. of time. We're thinking if you can't use your hands or things are slippery or you can't get to them, how are you going to get your nutrition? Because that was a big problem for me last year. I have to say, I saw a lot of volunteers last year helping with that. Yeah, volunteers yeah. are amazing. And, um, we're and they're just, standing out in the rain. They're standing, standing out in the rain. Still. And we, we are just, we are so impressed with them every year and the crowds. And, um, so moving down, we've now got our upper extremities. Um, we talked about gloves. We've talked about what to wear on our heads. We've talked about uh, trying to have some storage possibly in your bra if you're a woman. And now um, pants, tights, things like that we've talked about. Shoes. My suggestion also is we've talked about this before. The walk to the start line is long. So there's just no need to change out of your boots or galoshes, whatever you're choosing to wear in Hopkinton until you get to the start line. We saw a lot of people last year changing right as their corral numbers were called, waves were called rather in the staging area. And you actually have to walk through more mud, at least we did last year, to get to the start line. So just keep those old boots on, carry your shoes. And then when you get to the start line, or even we talked about this before, the the porta potty area that's right by the start line. There's a gas station right there. This is what I did last year. We stopped Mm -hmm. at the gas station, which was covered. And a bunch of us just helped each other change. And I remember I gave my the rest of my body guide or Vaseline. I had Vaseline last year to a woman standing next to me. And she was so grateful for that. And she was handing it off something off to somebody else. And we were dry at least because mm-hmm. it was covered at the gas stations right where the corrals split for, you know, go to the right for corrals one, two, three, left for whatever. There is a gas station there. So and uh, lots of volunteers were there to collect donatable clothes. So that's a place where you can do that and then still put your trash bag or poncho, whatever, back on to get back out to go into your weight in your corral. Yes. All right. So now we have covered what to wear, how to how to execute your Hopkinton journey. And now we're going to talk about briefly the race. We have talked about race strategy a lot in our podcast series. And if anyone here is a first-time listener, we highly encourage you to listen to part one and two of preparing, racing, and executing a uh, very solid Boston race. We um, recommend though that when running Boston, no matter what is going on around you, stick to your plan. Trust your training. Do not forget all of the training you've put in. Do not forget the plan that you have in place that works for you. And don't doubt yourself. There will be so many people around you. There will be so much chatter. And especially if it's your first Boston or your first Boston in the rain, you may want to change course. Don't. Stick with your plan. Trust your training. And ideally, your plan is one where you are aiming for a negative split. So we're first going to talk about briefly how to run downhill. This course is fast, and we really encourage you to pay attention to your form and your pace tremendously during the first half of the race. So, Lisa, why don't you give some tips on how you run downhill? I My key in my head is I'm always thinking, relax, relax, relax. You want to get into your stride. You want to pay attention to your form and your cadence and relax. Because if you are tensing up, if you're braking, or if you're pushing, if you're surging, you're wasting valuable energy and you're putting a lot of stress on your quads that are going to, to pay for it later. So my my strategy is relax, 
Uh, don't get panicked if people pass you. Like you said, looking around and seeing what strategies other people have is not not the best idea. Trust your training, and just trying to stay stay in control is what is it, that that's my my strategy. I would also say that remember that you're going to see people running on the outside parts of the course. Stay stay in the middle. There's no need to run on sort of that. Yeah, like the like almost the um, gutter. And yeah. Then, first of all, there can be a lot of debris over there, especially if yeah. the weather's been bad. And just stay the court. Just use the crowds to keep you in control and and to draft if it's windy. So, um, yeah. So that's uh, that's really going to be the key for this and and any race is any marathon really, but especially Boston because it's downhill and it's so exciting. A lot of adrenaline. TV cameras are rolling that first when you go through the start line and it's, and you won't even feel like you're going fast, but you really got to pay attention to your pacing and just again, relax. Don't waste that energy. All right. So next up, we're going to talk about wind and Lisa, what, what do you do when there's a wind gust? So I don't think the wind is going to be as much of an issue this year. We're hoping, it sounds like it's going to come from the east, but may shift from the south or may be coming from the south, which would be a crosswind. We want a wind from the west. That's a tailwind. That's not going to happen this year. So it's from the east. It's going to be a headwind. We had that in spades last year. Draft, 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 draft. The nice thing about Boston is that it's a crowded marathon and it's crowded at at the faster paces. It's not always the case in other marathons where if you're faster, you're kind of spread out in the front. It's crowded. So find somebody who's about your size or bigger than you, somebody who's got a big poncho on, somebody who's got something to, to, to shield you from the wind and get in. If the wind is coming from the east, you want to get right behind them. If it's coming from the south and you're getting a cross breeze or cross wind, you'll want to get next to them on their left side. You want to block yourself from the wind. It makes a really big difference. If you're running in a big group of people, you can rotate, you know, who's kind of in the middle sheltered and who's on the outside. It's common courtesy to take a, take some of the, take a pull for the group so that you're not uh, just taking advantage of the draft, but, and don't, and we're going to go back to my, my mantra for this year. Absorb Absorb the body blow. I think about that every time I've gone out on a windy run, training run, uh, I, that's what I think of. Don't fight it. If you spend more energy fighting the wind and fighting against it, then just absorbing it, slowing your pace a little bit, it'll eventually will abate. It'll eventually shift directions. You'll eventually get into a pack. It will change. I don't think it's going to be as big of an issue this year, but drafting, drafting, drafting. And uh, one time referred to it when I ran uh, Shamrock one year, it was really windy. And I said, I was in a little house because I was in a pace group and it was a big group of people. And I got myself right in the middle and I thought I'm in my little house. (laughs) And as soon as I got out of the house, I felt the wind a lot more, but you really can conserve some energy by drafting. So great advice, Lisa. And uh, I just want to say, because this is the first time in a long time that I will not be running and I will be spectating. I am just going to tell everyone out there listening who has a little bit of trepidation or um, conversely, just complete excitement and confidence, whatever place you're coming from, when you tow the line in Hopkinton, it's a huge honor to be there. You've already done the work. The honor is the opportunity to run the race. While I know everyone out there is going to do their best, it's also completely acceptable to enjoy the journey. Whether enjoying the journey is trying to get a PR or trying to experience the best Boston marathon possible. Just enjoy every minute, even the hard ones, because as we've mentioned before, we are all so lucky to have a passion that we can pursue to do what we love. And finally, when you have a hard moment in your race, don't worry about it. 
it will pass. Everything is temporary. Remember that even the hardest moments create the best memories. And sometimes the worst circumstances create the best opportunities. You won't remember in a year what happened during that hard moment. You'll remember that you finished the Boston Marathon in 2019 and celebrated with your friends and family. And it's just really wonderful. Anyone listening, you should be so proud of yourselves already. You made it through your training. You're heading to Boston. And we really, really, we're just so thrilled for everyone. And we would love to meet you. So if you're inclined, we would love to meet our listeners. We set up a meeting spot in the lobby of the Mandarin Oriental Hotel because it's near the finish line and it's indoors. And weather providing, we can head out to the finish line and take a couple photos, but we'll have goodies for you. And we just want to say hello and thank everyone for listening. We received so many emails just this week from listeners. Um, from Australia. Yes. From all over the world. Yes. It's really awesome. It's great. And, uh, makes us love the running community. It shows, it, it really speaks to why we love the running community. Oh, so, so much. And I do want to just echo what you said. One thing I would say is don't let the trepidation over the weather or this, uh, you know, fear of the weather ruin your experience in Boston. I feel like I let that happen a little bit last year. I was so freaked out about the weather that I kind of had a crummy Sunday. Like it wasn't like, you know, I was more worried about Monday. Like this should be a fun weekend. It, it's such a, great experience to be in Boston. The Boston just transforms into marathon weekend. It really is not like that. Even New York City Marathon, you can go to New York City, the marathon weekend, and not everybody knows that it's going on. Not everybody is there for the marathon, but everybody is there in Boston. It is such a great community of runners, of spectators, of supporters, of volunteers. So don't let any worry about the weather. That's out of our control. It's not going to be so bad. Uh, and we came home last year feeling like, badasses for, for making it through that really challenging conditions. So uh, you're going to get to Hoppington, you're going to finish this marathon and you deserve to be there. And you will have a great story as a result. So we're going to now turn it over to our friend, Rachel Glazer, who lives in Boston, and she's going to provide um, your friends and family with spectating tips. And uh, her tips are spot on. We are so excited to have Rachel as a resource. And as she mentions in her interview, she will be available for spectating questions from 12 to 3 at the MR8 booth at the expo. So if you or your friends or family up in Boston want to know some more specifics after you hear what Rachel suggests in the podcast, you can go say hello to Rachel Glazer and she will provide you with that information. Again, that's this Friday and this Sunday at the expo at the MR8 booth. So without further ado, we will turn it over to Rachel Glazer to provide spectating tips. Bye, Lisa. Bye, Julie. Hope to see everybody on Sunday. We are so pleased to welcome to the podcast today, our friend, Rachel Glazer. Rachel is an avid runner who has run 16 marathons, including eight Boston marathons. She has run Boston as a qualified runner and also as a charity runner for Dana-Farber, the Red Sox Foundation, America Liver Foundation, and Combined Jewish Philanthropies. She has run numerous half marathons and all types of other races as well. Rachel's also served as a volunteer at the Boston Marathon as a finish line announcer for three years and will once again be at the finish line this year volunteering after an injury forced her to drop off her training. 
As a native of Boston, Rachel is very familiar with the Boston Marathon course and will offer to our listeners all kinds of advice on how any out-of-towner coming to cheer on their friends and family can navigate the weekend. Lastly, Rachel is a logistics expert as she is the president and chief creative officer of her company, Rachel G Events, a premier event planning company that plans and implements all types of events. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Rachel Glazer, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be on today. So Rachel, when we were thinking about providing our listeners with spectating tips, you were the person who came to mind because you are a Boston runner and spectator and you live in Boston and you are very, very involved in the race. And in fact, we will get to hear your voice at the finish line this year. Is that correct? Yep. I'm very excited. I'm going to be what they call the finish line volunteer um, announcer, where I'm going to be making announcements, directing the runners on where to go, answering questions. Because once you cross the finish line, there's always a lot of, uh, should we say, confusion or chaos and where to go. So do you, I'd be one of those people helping the runners. Do you get to sit up in those high chairs? I do. I, I do. I'm always looking at those people going, thank you so much. But yeah. First I'm of all, be especially... If the weather's yeah. like last year, I was looking at them like, oh my God, they've been sitting up in that chair in this wind and rain and, and happily in such an enthusiastic voice directing folks. Yeah, I'm going to be sitting on chair four, which is Boylston near the T um, half the day. And the other half the day, they have a new role, a new role this year, which is called ground FAQ, which are going to be people wearing bright vests that say, how can I help you? So it's great to have people on the chairs, but it's also good to have people at eye level down with the runners that we can answer your questions and look you in the eye versus you looking up at us. So we'll have four people at each chair this year, two on the chair and two on the ground, and we switch. Wonderful. And so you um, will be working directly with um, the the greatest of all time race directors, Dave, who we yes. have on our podcast. And you are a personal friend of Dave's, aren't you? I love Dave McGilvery. Yes, I, I, I personally sought Dave out a couple of years ago when I was one of those Boston squeakers that didn't quite qualify, but didn't quite get that qualified bib number. And I, I stalked him and we became friends. And then he invited me to participate in the first ever Fenway Marathon, which was 118 laps around the park. And then did you do that? Me. You did that? Yeah, I did the Fenway Marathon. Oh, that's so cool. 17. And then I was so crazy enough that I did the Gillette Marathon. Last uh, September, it was 119 laps around the field with, with Dave McGilvery. That's, That's so cool. So cool. And you also did one of those. I believe it was the Fenway one. You did that with Michael Wardian, correct? Yeah, Michael Wardian was in both of them. And I, like, fell in love with him, of course. And now I'm obsessed. I follow him. I do the exercises he does. I actually even hired his trainer, Jesse Fuller, for a little bit. So I, I'm a Michael Wardian uh, follower big time. I think there's a lot of us. He's a tremendous guy. He's a great runner and a great person. So, Rachel, we wanted to pick your brain and talk to us. We have a lot of listeners who have friends and family who are spectating. Can you give us some key places where you suggest people go to spectate? I'm going to start off generally, and then we'll get more specific with your suggestions. So just right off the bat, give us some places where you suggest spectators go that are easy to access. Sure. I'm happy to. Now, first of all, the Boston Marathon is one of the best marathons. I'm very biased. I'm a Bostonian. And the key to being one of the best marathons in the world is not only because of the eliteness of it and you have to qualify, but the spectators. They estimate about a million to a million and a half spectators line the streets from Hoppington, the 26.2, all the way to Boylston Street. The best way to spectate is if you use the T. The T is very convenient. A lot of T's, I think, are free of charge on Marathon Day. Um, so I 
highly recommend using the T. One of the good spots to start that is on the T, on the D line, called the Green Line, Green line D line, is in, at Woodland. Woodland's at the Newton Wellesley Hospital, which is around mile 17. It's a great place to watch. Um, you can, you're right on the right side of the street. You can see people. I would definitely recommend bringing something to signify or show that you're there, whether it's a balloon or a flag or something so people can look for that. A large neon sign. Woodland's a great place to watch. Another great place to watch is obviously Heartbreak Hill. And that's actually where the runners need you the most. Because the first half, even up to Wellesley College at 13, is very exciting. A little bit of downhill. Actually, a lot of downhill. Yes. Um, as we know from running it. But you start to hit that little bit of a mental wall, physical wall, when you start to go over 128 at mile 16. So when I was running, knowing that some of my friends and family were going to be right after the Newton Wellesley Hospital at 17, there's a little garage there, like an auto body um, auto body part store there. And you see the Woodland T-Stop was a very big booster because it's right before you turn the corner onto Com Ave where all the hills begin. And then the next really exciting part, which I think also is a motivational booster and encouragement booster, is at Heartbreak Hill. And what you can do is take the T right from Woodland, which is the D-line, and get off the of Newton Center and walk to Grant Street. And off of Grant Street, you can, you'll be on Heartbreak Hill, and you can walk up and down that hill according to where you want to be. Another good place is Brookline, because even though you only have three or four miles to go at that point, you kind of lose that steam. You get into that fog of like, oh, my God, am I going to make this? And that's a really good place to watch. Mile 23 at the Golden Temple. You can take the T and get off there at Beaconsville and watch there. And then obviously going to the finish line. Now, the finish line is challenging since the bombing in 2013 to actually get there. People actually camp out or go at ridiculous hours of 4 to 5 a.m. to get a spot. So I actually do not recommend the finish line spectator experience, even though I know a lot of people want that experience. But I recommend it on the course um, it's more exciting and that's actually when the runners need you. So is it difficult once you're done spectating, let's say you choose to go to mile 17 and then maybe to Brookline, is it hard to get out of there and get down to the area to meet your family? Even if it's not on the finish line, is it hard to get to the family meetup area? It's not hard to get the family meetup area because you'll get on, you'll get back on the T and you'll get off. Certain T's are closed, but you can get off an Arlington T stop, I think is open and you can just walk down the street to Stewart Street where all the family meeting area. I'm happy to be a resource. I'm going to be at the expo tomorrow, 12 to 3 and Sunday, 12 to 3. Um, I'm helping out with the Martin Richard Foundation expo booth. So if anyone wants to come by there tomorrow, 12 to 3, Sunday, 12 to 3, I'm happy to be a resource to people throughout the weekend. Thank you. That That's so nice. So everyone listen, it's um, Rachel Glazer and she will be working the MR8 booth. Uh, tomorrow, Friday from 12 to 3, and then also Sunday from 12 to 3. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. And I'm also happy to take if anyone wants to email me because I know people have specific spots, but I definitely recommend not using a car. There's nowhere to park. The traffic's crazy. A lot of streets are blocked off. You'll waste time trying to find a place to park, figure out where to go, what streets are blocked off. The T is your best resource on Marathon Day. Um, And going to spots off the tea best resource. So even though I know people sometimes like to go out to the start, you'll never get back in time. It's really hard. Um, and there's no tea, um, no tea accessibility between mile one and 13, 14, unfortunately. Okay. That's great advice. So anyone who's, for example, staying downtown that wants to spectate the marathon, but not on the finish line should really start thinking about where they want to spectate between miles 16 and 26.2 and ideally not 26.2 because you have to get there at 5 a.m. to camp out. That's exactly right. 
Okay. What do you suggest? How do you know which side it's straight to spectate? I know that as a runner, it's, it's generally filled on both sides. Is there any preference um, in your experience or is it just based on where the T sort of lands you? It's based on where the T lands you. I always, I tend to run right. Cause that's where I know people are going to be. The stops that I just mentioned, you're going to get off on the right side of the street. Okay. So when you come off, for example, in Woodland, you're going to be on that. You, nobody really goes to the other side there by the Route 16, Newton Wells. You're going to be on the right side. Right. When you get off in Brookline, you're going to be on the right side. Okay. If you were to get off, um, you know, Newton Center uh, to go to Heartbreak Hill, you could cross over if you want. It's a little difficult. And, and they actually now, it's really tough actually to cross because they have the barriers up. They um, As it should be, because no marathoner wants anyone crossing the, the street, especially right. at Heartbreak right. Hill. <laughs> and one other thing I just want to say, which is really important, is I know the weather's not looking great. I mean, last year was what we called the marathon monsoon. I mean, I ran it. I know you girls ran it. It was I don't know how we got through that, but this year's not going to be as bad. I really encourage spectators to dress appropriately, be warm, get your rain gear out, get your umbrellas out and get out there. Because last year, the spectators were really sparse. And I think it really, really um, was challenging for the runners not to have that spectator, you know, boom throughout the course. I mean, the people who are always there were there. The, the starting line people were there. Wellesley College girls were there. But it got really sparse. So I encourage you to, as we say, suck it up as the runners do and just warm up, get the umbrellas out. Uh, track your athletes so you, have to, you don't have to stand out there the whole time. I know there's questions of coaches and people who want to watch people in the first wave versus people in the, in the fourth wave. If you're going to plant yourself, just plant yourself so people know where you're going to be and tell them exactly where you're going to be. Um, That's a great so. point, Rachel, because I'm, I am one of those coaches. As I, as I mentioned in the podcast, I, um, due to a torn meniscus, will not be running, but I'm heading up to see all of our runners and friends. And I, I know I will see people who are running at all paces. So for someone like me, it's probably best for me to plant myself in one spot. Exactly. And have something that's very visible. I usually get a balloon or a big neon sign, um, a flag, something that the runners can really look out. Because they're going to see you probably before you see them, as we know as runners. I usually spot yeah. people before um, spectators spot me. So something that's very visible that everyone on your team, take a picture of it, text it to everybody. I'm going to be, this is what I'm going to be holding. Do you need me to have anything for you? I mean, you guys know you're the experts on this, but it's really important for people listening to get out there. The runners need you, especially in the weather. Might not be as fun for spectators, but the runners will definitely appreciate it. And you'll be part of the Boston hoopla. Um, and it will be an experience for you when, if you're coming to Boston to cheer people on. And the spectator community seems great too. Like every time I go by, you know, already out together, they're having looks like they're having fun watching and, and yes. community of spectators. That's a very good point. People barbecue, you can bring beer, wine, popsicles, whatever you want. I mean, people are, you know, people enjoy it. It's a party day in Boston. Most people aren't working. It's a holiday. People take off. The bars are open. It's a really fun day in Boston. So enjoy it as a spectator. And the weather's getting better every day. I mean, it does not look as cold as obviously as last year. I, I I'm so happy right ran, now. I'm like ready to like hug you through the, through the phone. Yeah, I don't Quickly. think anyone who ran last year, I mean, this is going to be a breeze compared to anyone, but if it's someone's first time <laughs> yeah. or even someone who didn't run through last year's monsoon, it can be very overwhelming. Just dress the part, uh, make sure to have enough gear for your gear in terms of having enough um, layers to cover, trash bags, shoe covers, old rain boots bring out to the start. Um, and same, and same with the spectators, another pair of gloves, another pair of socks. It could get wet. So. Right. Are there, 
and the, the spots that you mentioned, are there like coffee shops or places that are indoors that are open that people can duck into to take breaks? Uh, the Woodland, no, but the one in Brookline, yes, there's a coffee shop there. Um, and there's a Starbucks there right at, um, mile 23 at the corner there, there's Emac and Bolio's and there's a Starbucks and Great. there's, a, um, another coffee shop down the street. So yes, on mile 23, there definitely is. Hard Park Hill, unfortunately, there's not. There's people's houses that you probably could deck under. <laughs> if it's really bad, they always invite you onto the porch. Yeah. Uh, and Woodland, no. Cleveland Circle is another area to watch, but that's the C line. And everything I talked about today is on the D line. Right. Again, I'm happy to be a resource. And if, for those going to the expo with your fellow friends and family who are running, there's a lot of resources there for spectators. And you can Google it too. A lot of good information on spec. But I'd have your spectator plan, just like the runners have their plan um, in place over the weekend. I wouldn't wait to Sunday to have your spectator plan in place. I'd really kind of plan it out Friday and Saturday so your runners know where you're going to be. Um, what to expect, what to look for. It takes off the stress of a runner if you kind of give them your plan as well. Great suggestions, Rachel. We so appreciate you taking the time to come on today. We know you are super busy and your advice is spot on. And I know we will come see you at the MR8 booth at the expo and say hello. And we just want to thank you not only for your help today, but for volunteering on race day and being such an integral part of Boston 2019. So thank you so much, Rachel Glazer. Uh, Thank you girls. And I'm really happy, like I said, and you girls have my email. I'm happy to be a resource for people over the weekend and uh, I look forward to it. I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend in Boston. Happy marathon. Thank you. You too, Rachel. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. We hope to do a few recordings while we're in Boston, but in the meantime, we hope to see many of you at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel Lobby at 10.30 a.m. this Sunday. Have a great trip up to Boston, everyone. Bye.